Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Merlin, man. How are you going? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Good. I'm good. good. We, we cleaned out the garage over the weekend, so I inhaled, uh, I think, a lot of dust Ugh. and, and uh, uh, feces dander. Uh, I've seen from, that garage. From the Mises. Oh, you, you wouldn't believe it now. <clears throat> oh, man. Oh, wow. Found my copy of uh, When I Pretend to Fall on CD. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. CD, uh, uh, once popular media. Yeah. You don't want to know what I did. I went, I went all in. I committed. How many cans of half-consumed fizzy water did you find? Um, just a couple. Because I remember you used to go down the stairs to the garage and put your half-consumed can of fizzy water. You would tuck it in various little nooks because you you would save it. You know, you put it there because you were going down to the garage to do something. Mm. And then you would forget it was there, mm, and then you would do it again. Is that what you remember? This is what you remember. <laughs> I, I, you know what? Every there's a funny tweet uh, a few weeks ago. Somebody said um, something like, "Everybody in their life has at least one beverage abandoner." <laughs> and I don't think of myself. Well, you know how I think of myself does not necessarily reflect who I am. But um, I, you know, I finish most of them. I finish them too fast sometimes. Too much fizz. Yeah, yeah, a lot of burping. I'm committed. I'm committed. But you know, no, you know, one thing I did do is I took a Home Depot five gallon bucket and put a bunch of seltzers and ice in it, and that way I had, you know, had a, a, a treat down there. Um, <laughs> because I think I think this is true in life. I really believe this. Is yeah. that one reason we don't succeed as well as we would like, or that we procrastinate? Is we lack infrastructure. Agreed. So for me, that starts with me. The day I is uh, a Friday morning, I wake up and I start making a list, and it's a list of all the things that I need to take down to the garage or or locate and move to the garage. All the things I need to make this something that I look forward to doing. Wait, you do this every Friday, or you did this this past Friday? Oh, if I did it every Friday, that would be crazy. That would be a new project. Uh-huh. No, 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 no. So I made a list, and it had stuff on it, like, you know, bucket of seltzer. It had stuff on there like utility knives, Sharpies, two kinds of tape, a HomePod so I could uh, listen to Power Pop. I like to listen to Power Pop when I'm, when I'm cleaning, and, uh, and it made it so much easier. Oh, a string. You always get a string or rope, you know? You're going to oh, so need this that. Was- this was garage cleaning technology support stuff. Yes, like, yes. This and, was a one-time only, you're going to bring this stuff down to, to accomplish this job. Ah. Yes, and you know you know me, like one reason I think New Year's resolutions and similar tend not to succeed is that the people who make that uh, big wager about the person they think they want to be, they lack the infrastructure to support that. Go on. Okay. So, for example, what's a popular one? A popular one. Well, let's set aside stop drinking. Let's let's go to. Uh, I want to. I want to lose weight. You could say yeah. the modern noom version of that. Uh, you know, I want to. I want to uh, make better decisions. But really, let's yeah. say I don't. I don't want to. I don't like the way my tummy feels in my pants. Okay. All right. Good. Okay. That's a so you say to yourself. Right? You say to yourself. I'm going to lose twenty pounds this year, or whatever. Oh, ambitious. Okay. More things to set aside. Let's set aside that if this had really mattered to you, you already would have done it. Okay. Let's set aside right. that you've probably done this more than one year and it didn't stick. You've it's practiced. Tough talk you've, here. You, it's very t- you know what? Sometimes that's the kind of tough love a person needs is like, oh, you're no. just saying a bunch of bullshit and, and that's, <laughs> no, that's no good. You're lying. You're making a plan to lie to yourself. 
So step number one, guess what? Get rid, uh, identify, take a step back, identify the foods that you think make you a fatty or, or a mm-hmm. tummy boy. Mm-hmm. Identify tummy those boy. foods and get them the fuck out of your house. Then get foods that you enjoy eating. Don't oh. buy stuff you're not going to eat just because it's healthy. Get, get yourself, in my case, you know, uh, you, know, you know me and my protein. You get you yeah. some beef jerky. You boil 12 eggs. Right? You got that ready. That, boil that's 12 eggs. You no boil, one can boil 12 eggs. Are you kidding me? Any man doesn't put a spoon back tonight in the box. <laughs> um, so that's what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is before you dive into something you're in no position to actually commit to, you, you must first commit to identifying why you're doing it, what, it, what success looks like, and then what is the pathway to making this, uh, as my friend Jeff Veen says, make the right thing the easy thing. How do you make set yourself up for success by developing an infrastructure that makes you look forward to doing the thing that's difficult? Make the right thing the easy thing. Make we could stop right, right there. That's that's gold. You could just you could just you could go and sell that at the pawn shop. That's so gold. I know that's really solid. Make the right thing the easy thing. Make the right thing the that, easy thing. Yeah. That's that's very hard. For, right. Make the right thing the easy thing. It's very hard for me to do. Mm, really. To make the right thing the easy thing. Oh, because it's, it's against your nature. It's against my nature. Oh shit, exactly dog! Right. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do the easy thing, uh, but the right thing you is you can make the hard, hard thing harder. Make the hard thing harder. They have pills for that now. You know that's what they say right on my candy bar wrapper. Oh, is that right? What's your candy bar called? Uh, well, oh, uh, uh, lumpy, <laughs> lumpies. Oh shit! You know that's got almonds in it. <laughs> that's it. Sure does. Yeah. Uh, yeah, lumpies. But it's Lump, Lumpies is the name of your candy bar. You would sell yeah, that lumpies. at your uh, cheese cheese and plate provisionist. Yeah, which is also called Lumpies. Bespoke Lumpies. Lumpies. Everybody loves Lumpies. Yeah, you could, you could sell them on Etsy. You could, you know. Make the hard thing harder. Oh, boy. Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah, no, but I love the idea. You know, my daughter is a, is a uh, soda abandoner, and I am not. I'm a I'm a You're soda, soda finisher? I'm a, I'm a resolute soda finisher. You're not going to, you know, you could, uh, you could, you could walk across the rice paper and leave no trace of your passage inside of a soda that I've consumed. You got the tattoos on your arm? Uh, picking up the pot? Yeah, more burn marks, but yeah. Yeah. Well, you remember that though, when he, when he's been able to get across the rice paper, what's his name? The guy's name is Key Luke, I think was the name of the actor, the the great Asian American actor, uh, Key Luke. And he was also the voice of a lot of things. He was the guy on MASH. He was the guy on MASH. I think he ran the bar or maybe the laundry. And then really? that guy is Kwai Chang Kane's master. And then at the end, uh, he, he goes into the Darth Vader room and he has to pick up the hot pot with his forearms. Pot. And then that hot makes, that makes uh, Dragon Burns. I've told you about the guy that I used to work with that had the... Uh, <clears throat> I used to work at a, at a grunge rock bar, uh, but that it, it was a gay bar. It had been a gay bar for many, many years, decades. Uh, and And before that, it was a... It was a, uh, well, I guess we used to call it a whorehouse. Oh, I see, on, I see. A, a courtes, courtesan. Courtesans, yes. A, a, a sex worker hotel. Thank you. But then it was a gay a gay bar for many, many decades. And uh, when I started working there, it was uh, still a gay bar, but it had, they decided, the owner had decided that he was going to cash in on this new rock and roll thing that was happening. And he was going to have some rock bands. Uh, you know, like sometimes, uh, a few nights a week. I bet and it's then, a way to fill in the gaps. That yeah. our our um our uh, we used to call it New Wave Night. 
New Wave Night in Sarasota was was at a gay bar. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. He had he had his regular weekly slots. You, play, you, play, you, you know, had like was... a hole. You, you, you play Harley David's Son of a Bitch, 12-inch version of Gigantic. Oh, well, no. So it wasn't. He was actually booking bands because this was. Oh, is this the place? Is this the detour off ramp? Off ramp. Yeah, this is the off ramp. That's right. The off ramp was the name of a gay bar. Yes. Okay. Yes. And it was and it was a big club, you know. It had formerly been a kind of two-story hotel. It had a big, big, big theater, um, restaurant. Really? It, at, at, what, at what time, if you know? Uh, well, during this whole period. Uh, it continued to be a place where you could get a room and eat? Oh, no. So upstairs, you, you definitely could eat. There was a whole restaurant. But upstairs had become uh, like real flophouse apartments. A couple of the people had all their windows covered with aluminum foil. Smart. Um, you know, there were people that worked in the bar that lived up there as a part of... Uh, the owner's name was Lee Ray, and he was definitely running major... He used to own a Pontiac dealership in Paulsbo, and when he <laughs> when he retired, he like divorced his li- his wife. He was like, "I've always been gay, but now I'm now I'm free. I'm going to take the money that I got from selling the Pontiac dealership, and I'm going to go to Seattle, uh, hotbed of of intrigue, and I'm going to buy a like a gay bar in the you know and at the time that's commitment, John. Seedy area down by the freeway. Talk about commitment to the bit. And now I'm, he says, now I'm going to live my whole life. My, my boyfriend is going to be a meth head. I'm going to have oh, you yeah. know, uh, young people living upstairs. The whole, the whole thing. Lee, Lee was really... He I was, hope he had the infrastructure for that. He only lived another 15 years. But boy, he really sucked the marrow Fuck you. That's exactly what I was going to say. Only marrow. Just the marrow. No, he'd chew the bone, too. Lee was a big guy. Oh, he's not a shin bone? Yeah. Oh, um, uh, that's that's yeah, so, so interesting to me. Okay, that yeah, boy, that's a that's a lot of work. It was, and you know, he was a angry guy and a and a mean guy, <laughs> um, hmm. and a bad boss. Oh. But uh, but he definitely created a culture there. Uh, not quite well. It was a cult, I think. It was a cult, I guess. If you were gay, you can't spell I, culture without cult. Well, that's right. I wasn't, so I was outside the cult aspect of it, but I was definitely inside the uh, first couple of straight kids to work for Lee Ray and pioneer that. Did he always have two first names? Lee Ray, and his second name was spelled R-A-E, I think. Lee Ray. Okay, I'll allow it. If you had a a third name, it would be very, uh, very uh, FBI wanted list. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, I I, I don't even know if I knew his last name. His, oh, his, 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 I think, well, anyways, like Lee, share. Yeah. <laughs> Lee Ray, uh, he hired a bunch of young people all of a sudden, because <laughs> up until then it had all been, you know, it was like, it was this old bar, they had leather night, they had uh, court of Seattle night, they had lesbian night, they had, you know, dance night, they had open night or whatever. And now they have rock night and then second rock night. But he, <laughs> he, uh, he, 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 he. <laughs> He, uh, it's good exposure. Started, you should complain. Yeah. It's good exposure. And the thing is, you know, everybody had a leather jacket, right? All the people that were working there before had a leather jacket. Mm-hmm. Now all these young people also have leather jackets. Like, it was it was easy to see who could work at the off-ramp. They just had to have a leather jacket. 
Mm. Oh, I, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have a leather jacket. I was a little bit of a, but you could look at me and tell. You're more a denim man, I think. I was a little denim yeah. But that mm-hmm. also, that worked in that, in that context. But there was a guy I worked with, and he was just a little bit older than me. He was from the gay side of the off-ramp. But he had been in the Navy, and he'd gotten out of the Navy, and it was one of those things. You know, this is the late 80s, early 90s. There were still a lot of people that were like, I wasn't sure I was gay. I thought I was going to, you know, maybe it used grow to be out a of it. Lot, it used to be a lot, a lot harder to be gay. Not that it's easy, not that it's easy, not, you know, it's always been difficult, but boy, it used to be a heck of a lot harder. It was different. And, uh, and this club, you know, was a place like, like gay bars used to be where people could be them, be themselves. And so he got out of the Navy and he came to the off ramp and got a job. He was dating the, there was a bartender in the back bar who was just this beautiful elf platinum blonde hair (laughs) he was like you know he was he was part of the leather culture but very small and um and kind of you know wore chaps like there was a he was committed talk about committed to the bit Mm -hmm. and this guy i think think a small a small guy who's in the leather scene should be called a leatherette a leatherette Mm -hmm. or nano leather he this this guy that was in the navy was dating um, the back bartender, <laughs> but he was not, there was nothing leather about him. And it was kind of my first introduction to like, well, you know, everybody's got a different bit and yeah. these two found each other. And so, you know, God bless him. And he was a funny, you know, he's a funny guy. But one of the things that characterized him was that both of his forearms, one, both of his forearms from his wrist to his elbow mm-hmm. on the inside of his forearm. On one side, his left side, he had the Monkees logo. The band? Tattooed, the band. Tattooed from his from the inside of his elbow all the way to his wrist. The Monkees. Oh, it took up the entire arm. Um, I'm going to I'm going to relish the next few seconds where I my mind just goes fucking crazy trying to figure out what's on the other side. Cuz you're going to tell and, me and I hope it's good, but like you know this is the kind of decision you make where you say, like, I'm going to get this tattoo first, but that that's just, I don't know if monkeys came first. It might be evolution. Monkeys. But you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. In this case, monkeys were, it, the idea, I think, came first, and then the monkeys okay, okay. Were, the, were the, you know, the, the first iteration of the idea. Okay. This was before, we're talking about 1990 now, this was before the monkeys had gone through their... Right their resurgence of like they had to come back in like they had to come back where they were on MTV and stuff and uh, when they when they rebanded in like 86 87 but i think that's it's a little bit like getting a scooby doo tattoo it's something that's got it's got to be based in an older thing i don't think you get a full forearm tattoo of a revival nope 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 that's right you are if you if you have leonard skinner tattooed on your on your arm it's not because of the 1990 reunion mm-hmm. people it's, and he this is the navy guy right this is the navy guy so you get tattoos <clears throat> when you're in the navy yeah and he's you got other the seven seas you get a monkey's tattoo but this tattoo is enormous and oh, it's boy. the whole it's the full logo you know like hey hey we're the 
Yeah, kind and of like then, a, it's kind of like a a, like a a fun whimsical sort of '60s Partridge Family font, right? That's right. It's it's bubble bubbly kind of fun font. Gotta see that. Okay, <clears throat> but. If you're looking at this guy, who's he, he's still wearing the glasses that he got for free in the Navy, mm-hmm. and he's got this monkey's tattoo, and he's dating the the like leatherette mm-hmm. chap self, and, and and the back bartender is very quiet, very demure, not a flashy person at all, um, and a, an absolutely a, like a lovely person, maybe the loveliest person in the bar, but also the one I got to know the least well. Because he was kind of shy and retiring, he was one of those. He was not a bartender that was like, "Hey, you know, set him up and knock him down." Right. He was like very. Uh, he was very efficient. He just, you know, he was. All, he was a great bartender. But did his was, did his job. Did his job. He was mm-hmm. just kind of floating in and out. He was beautiful, so of course everybody sat at his end of the bar or whatever. But it was mostly just like get these drinks in and out. I I, I never really fully. We we worked together for a long time. We were friends, but I didn't. I never fully. I don't even think I knew one thing about him, frankly. Mm-hmm. Except that he was dating this guy that I knew really well, Monkey's guy, mm-hmm. who was who was kind of. I don't know. I have. I don't even remember what he did at the bar. But the other side of his other arm, his okay. right arm, okay, from wrist. To the crook of his elbow, the, his entire forearm, okay. was the monkey's logo backwards. <sighs> this episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you in part by Mac Weldon. You can learn more about Mac Weldon right now by visiting macweldon.com slash R-O-T-L. Mac Weldon is a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. Their products are great, and their site is really easy to use. I should know. I, I use it all the time. It's, it's very easy. You just drag some stuff in the thing, and you know, then you get clothes. Mac Weldon believes that their stuff will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, sweatpants, and more that you will ever wear. They offer a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. Such a good thing to eliminate. And they want you to be comfortable. So if you don't like your first pair of underwear, you can keep it. And they'll just refund you. No questions asked. Not only does uh, Mac Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look good, they perform well, too. Good for working out, going to work. Uh, I, I like them for making uh, making podcasts. And uh, right now, the folks at Mac Weldon have uh, even created their own totally free loyalty program that they call Weldon Blue. Level 1 gets you free shopping for life. And once you reach level 2 by spending $200, Mac Weldon will start giving you 20% off every order for the next year. Now, here's the thing about me. You, you may not know this, but um, I'm currently all in on the uh, uh, suspenders lifestyle. I started wearing suspenders. And it's just, it's been terrific for me. It's been a week now, and I haven't looked back. But, you know, one consequence of that is that I do have to tuck in my shirt now, you know, like a gentleman. And you know what's great for that? The 18-hour jersey crew neck undershirt, size large in color, bright white. It's so good. It, it, once it tucks, it stays tucked. It's so great. And, and you know, over that, I happen to be wearing, um, you know, one of their long sleeve t-shirts. You know, it's, it's Mack Weldon all the way down, as they say. So, so, you know, join me. Join me, even if you don't wear suspenders. You go to MacWeldon.com slash R-O-T-L, just like it sounds. And get 20% off your first order using our very special promo code R-O-T-L. 
just like it sounds, R-O-T-L. MacWeldon.com slash R-O-T-L. Our thanks to Mac Weldon for supporting Roderick on the Line and all the great shows. This is commitment inside of commitment inside of commitment. <laughs> so it, it, it's got symmetry. Did it, did, it look, did it look good? Is this the guitar case logo? Yes. It's like a guitar case that says monkeys. He had on his left arm he's got the guitar case. On the up he's got and then he's got the mirror image on his other arm almost like they were pressed together. Exactly. Oh shit. And I said to him, the monkeys the monkeys logo looks like a guitar, that's right. And I said to him when we first met, when we shook hands, when he was first coming to work at the bar and I was there already working at the bar. I looked at his tattoos and I said is that a reference to Kung Fu, where he picks up the, the hot urn? He gets the hot pot. Hot pot? Mm-hmm. And the guy said, oh, my God, nobody else ever gets it. Oh, my God, that must have been so satisfying for both of you. He was like, wow, that's exactly what it is. It's the, it's, I picked up the hot urn, except it said the monkeys on it. If you can successfully play the drum parts on the, the song Words... You get to pick mm. up the monkey's hot pot. There it is. The <laughs> monkey's hot pot. And honestly, I think about that. I think about it. It's kind of like the drinking fountain. I, and, that, and the guy, actually, the monkey's guy from the Navy had the same personality as Eric Spurlock, who invented the, every time, I, every time you look at the logo on this oh, drinking fountain, I want you to come think on. of me. You, uh, he had the same personality. And I think about that monkey's tattoo. Uh-huh. At the time, I didn't understand tattoos then. Mm. I only slightly understand them now. 100%. But at the time, I was like, tattoos, you know, and they were happening at the time. They were. It was, you know, that's of, when it was really first picking up. I think that's yeah. when you would get... Uh, a small tattoo somewhere that you could cover for work. Ladies right. would get a mushroom, right? Mm. Well, I'll never forget when I found out that my niece, my uh, my my wife said, "Oh yeah, you, your name of niece uh, got a foot tattoo," and I said she got a tattoo of a foot, and and <laughs> which I think would be kind of fun. But no, she'd gotten something. This is all before tramp stamps. I don't know if that's probably not. We don't say that anymore. But right, and let alone like getting like if you had some kind of punk rock tattoo that went all the way up to your chin. Like you were like, you look like a criminal. You were not never going to work. Well, I mean, you still look like a criminal, but you, yeah. you, that didn't happen. I mean, not even like those back of the neck tattoos until yeah. later. I knew a girl at that time whose name was Lily. Lily had, uh, Lily had, well, first of all, she had strawberry blonde hair that she kept in a pixie cut. Oh God. And she and her name had, was Lily. Her name was Lily, Ugh. and actually, Lily was the what, Lily was the inspiration for the song Shane that I wrote at the time about her boyfriend Shane, who lived in Virginia. And Shane kept coming in between. Shane kept intruding on Lily's and my relationship because Lily kept referring to Shane when things would go wrong. Lily was on drugs, and I was on drugs. Shane, as in like the, the, like I hate this. This is exactly the reason I can't be with Shane. You're doing the thing. No, no, no. As in, well, you know, Shane says that he's coming. Oh, he's the Shane of Damocles. Virginia. It's always hanging yeah. over your head. And I was like, Shane's coming, Ugh. and she's like, Shane's moving to Seattle. So when Shane gets here, 
you know, this has all got to stop. And I was like, well, Shane's in Virginia. And she was, and I said, Shane's, it sounds to me like Shane's always coming out here, but never comes out here. That's classic Shane. That is such, you you know, that's classic Shane. And so I wrote a song called Shane that was part of my original repertoire. But it was, Shane had a lot of like, kind of in that, in the style of the time, it had some little bit more of a jazzy, funky vibe. Mm-hmm. And later on, many years later, I was trying to rewrite Shane, which is a thing I used to do, have a song that didn't quite You did, didn't you quite did that work. with a bunch of Hurricane songs for your first record, and it turned out great. That's right. In this case, I tried to rewrite Shane and rewrote it so significantly that it became Unsalted Butter. Really? Which was just a song that is just, I was, I was working on Shane, trying to get Shane to make sense to me. Turned into unsalted butter. Hmm. But Lily had a tattoo of a white lily hmm. on her on her uh, upper shoulder, left shoulder, back shoulder, back above, on the other side, on her back. Oh, like an angel wing. Like an angel wing, a white lily. And hmm. she, at the time, you know, nope. That was this was again ninety ninety one. Like having a tattoo. I guess the thing is, it was a tattoo that would only be visible if you were wearing a. A bikini strap or a, a tank top. Yeah. Which was a look. Still a look. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If your boyfriend lives in Virginia, that's a look. Yeah. If your boyfriend lives in Seattle, but there's another boyfriend that lives in... If your boyfriend lives in the Niagara Falls area, which is what Shane was... It's very close to a Canadian boyfriend. Anyway, she said at one point, I hate my tattoo. She had, by this point, other tattoos. She, she said, I hate my tattoo. And I was like, what, the lily? She was like, it's so literal. What was I yeah, thinking? Yeah, yeah. A lily. Like, I, it's that's like, my first thought. It's like being named Shanti and having Shanti tattooed on the back of your neck. <sighs> which Shanti did. It makes, it makes it seem like you're both forgetful and unwilling to put your, uh, your, your, your cue somewhere where you could actually see it. Yeah, exactly. Put it, put it on the little You look in the mirror, part. you think your name's Hantus. Hantus? <laughs> This episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you in part by Squarespace, Ah, our old friends at Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com slash supertrain. There are so many things that you can do with Squarespace. You know, primarily you're going to be creating a beautiful website. It'll turn your cool idea into your new home on the web. You can showcase your work. You can have a blog or publish other kinds of content, beautiful galleries. You can sell products and services of all kinds. You can promote your uh, physical or online business. You can even announce an upcoming event or a special project. All this, I mean, the the better question is, what can you do with Squarespace? Uh, We don't have time for that, but but really, there's not much you can't do. It's really easy. You drag, you drop, you got a website. How do they do this? It's a good question. They do this by giving you beautiful templates created by world-class designers. They have powerful e-commerce functionality to let you sell anything online. You get the ability to customize the look and feel, settings, products, and more with just a few clicks and a couple little drags you can you can preview it all while you're making it you can see what your site's going to look like on different kinds of of dinguses it's it's amazing everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box you know you get a new way to buy domains choose from over 200 extensions of course they have analytics that help you grow in real time and built-in search engine optimization or seo as i call it it's free and secure hosting right nothing to patch or upgrade ever and plus they have their 24 by 7 award-winning customer support they're encouraging folks you got to make it yourself easily create a website by yourself for yourself 
This is really, it, it's for you. You know, the future's coming. Make it brighter. It's Squarespace. So right now you go, you, you go check out squarespace.com slash supertrain. Get a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your beautiful new site, use our offer code supertrain. And that is going to save you 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. Listen, I'm a big fan. You know, you're using Squarespace right now. It's where Roderick on the line has always been. And uh, I think we're probably where it always will be. So, so, you know, Squarespace, they're the best. Check them out. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Roderick on the line and all the great shows. <laughs> you know, <laughs> put the little stupid. thing on your thumb so you look uh-huh. down and you go, oh, right, 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 Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Try and do a little bit of a memento. Shanti. Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. So that's, um, I feel like if what, you... What, what did she do? Did she, hang on, don't leave me hanging. Did she do anything Sorry. about it? Who, Lily? Well, I mean, did she try to get one of the, what they call a cover-up? Did she try to get it ma- made into something that wasn't a flower? No. What Lily did, here, here's how my relationship with Lily ended. Lily said, <clears throat> Lily was working at a bookstore, and the owner of the bookstore was a super creep. Um, and it, it, was a, it was a bookstore in the university district. And he and uh, he always had like young, literary, literary, drug addicted girls working at his store, and it was <laughs> you know it was the era when like you could be a creep, everybody knew you were a creep, all the girls that worked there knew you were a creep, but they still worked there, and you still work, you still own the bookstore and that, were a creep. That was totally a thing. It was a thing, and and he the first time I ever saw that original Nirvana demo tape the cassette tape uh he had it behind the counter at this bookstore that he'd taken it in trade for something wow lily stole it brought it over to my house and we sat and listened to it on my boom box and i wish to god either i had stole it from her or i had made a duplicate or something because it was all those songs from bleach but but like boombox recordings, like original wow. recordings that not boombox, but they had recorded them all as kind of like sell it shows type of cassette tape. Yeah, it I'm wasn't ne- like professionally. No, recorded. it wasn't the record. And different versions of them. Polly was on it somehow. Wow. And uh, and it was. I've never heard it referenced. I've never heard. I've never heard of it. I've never seen it sold. But I freaking heard it because we sat in my apartment and listened to it and then she snuck back in and and like tucked it back in his i don't know where it was somewhere you know behind the desk and was like why didn't i why didn't i make a oh she didn't dub it oh man no why didn't i dub this thing anyway he came to her one time and said look i've got twenty five thousand dollars in a bag i want you to go to paris with me and she said I will not go to Paris with you in a million years for any amount of money. But it sparked an idea in her head. And she, because she loved the bowls, she loved the, um, she loved the beats. And she saved up however many dollars it took back then and said, I'm moving to Tangiers. Hmm. And I You're going to need a lot of infrastructure for that, John. Well, that's the thing. But she didn't have any. You know, she just had a Is that a, a French-speaking bag. country? I'm uh, thinking of Algeria. Arabic, Arabic okay. but also you can speak French in Algiers. Absolutely. Okay. 
or I'm sorry, Tangiers. Tangiers. So she moved to Tangiers. She actually hmm. did it. And Lily was a junkie. Like she wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> like she didn't have already a lot that of problems. That sounds like the first line of a Nirvana song. Lily <laughs> was a junkie. <laughs> didn't have the infrastructure to get it right. She moved Damn, to so she did it, but you know, that, that, mm. and so oh, she, wait, said, she saved money for this. There's, well, you know, I don't know how she did it. And Lily was the type of person that could have gone to this, could have taken two grand out of this guy's bag. And by the time he noticed, she was in Tangiers. Like, that was the way she, that was how she rode. She got to Tangiers, and because she had strawberry blonde hair and wore it in a pixie cut, and, you know, and kind of, and had a tattoo of a lily and, and wore sort of gauzy, uh, Hippie clothes. She was very small. Mm. No, she was very, very punk. But the clothes were, uh, well, they would they were cooling in the in the summer. They were if if you were in the Mediterranean, they would be they would have been cooling these clothes. Okay. Mm Okay. She actually went and found Paul Bowles. Somehow ingratiated himself herself into his world, and became like a member of the the circle of young people that always sort of pilgrimaged to Paul Bowles and that whole, you know, Ginsburg, Fairland, Getty. I had to look him up. I apologize. Uh, Oh, he wrote the sheltering sky. He did. Okay. And he, look at this guy. He looks good with a cigarette. He does. Wow. He was one of my favorite authors because I loved his short stories. He read, he wrote these incredible short stories. He actually was the he's the reason that Muhammad Rabbit ended up being translated into English. Muhammad Rabbit is this great writer who didn't he was illiterate. He couldn't write, but he would tell stories and Paul Bowles would translate his stories. And he had all uh, if you if you can uh, find his books, they're they're also short stories. But I I I loved his writing. I didn't really like the Beats, but I really loved Paul Bowles. And all of a sudden, she's living in Morocco, and she's friends with him, hmm. and she became a she became some kind of runner who would go off up to that that bookstore on the Rive Gauche in Paris, which was like Beat Central, and go back and forth. A lot, and then she became a drug mule, mm. and she was she was loading up on drugs in Morocco, and then muling them up to Paris as a part of and her and her beard was or her her alibi was that she was part of this beat book bookstore uh, like circuit between between Morocco and and Paris. And the last time I saw her, she came back to Seattle, and she she was very she very specifically like went through channels. This I by this point I was sober. This was five years later. Mm-hmm. She like did the search. She went she went down and did the like where's John Roderick search. Mm. Went around the town, and you know this was at a time when there were a lot of people that were like, well, he fucked off. Like he doesn't he's not around anymore. He's a ghost. He ghosted us, right? He he stopped mm-hmm. doing drugs, and so he ceased to exist. Mm-hmm. But she found me, 
And I went down and I met her down in Pioneer Square. And we spent a whole afternoon just sort of walking around, not talking about anything, not talking about that she was a drug mule for Paul Bowles or whatever, not talking about she. Do you recall what kind of drugs she was uh, muling for him? Oh, well, she was, uh, she was, it was, they weren't Paul Bowles' drugs. Oh. This was, oh, oh this, this, was, is, this is a, her, her side hustle. This is a side hustle. Yeah. Okay, got it. And it was dope. I mean, it was, it was heroin, I'm sure. There wasn't another Oof. drug she would have been interested in. I think well, one short viewing of uh, Midnight Express could really change your mind about uh, moving drugs through the Middle East. It really could, except that she just she was one of these charmed people. Yeah, but but she definitely a, a redheaded pixie cut could go a long way in this world. I hope that's not racist, but I really think it's true. Well, and especially like it wasn't it wasn't an auburn pixie cut; it was strawberry. Mm. So it was just like you know natural strawberries, and it was just mm-hmm. it was she was very unusual looking. But in a way that was very usual looking. She didn't. She didn't have a. Um, she just seemed like a little magical creature, and I can imagine her her breezing through customs over and over in a time when there weren't a lot of people that looked like her. Well, anywhere, but especially not going back and forth between Tangiers and Paris. Mm-hmm. But she had a look. She had a look like it couldn't last. And I don't know what she was looking me up for because it wasn't like she she did not look me up to say like whatever happened between us why didn't we? No, that's what make, you do. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. I do that. No, you do she that. was. Mm-hmm. I don't know what she was doing. I don't know why because we didn't talk about anything except we just we spent the afternoon. How did you find out she was looking for you? Well, it come you know somebody word on the street. Yeah, that's exactly right. Somebody comes in and says, "Hey." uh... Uh, Lily's looking for you. And I was like, Lily? You mean Lily? And they were like, yeah, she's yeah, in town. Lily the tattooed lady. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, at the, by then, everybody was tattooed. Yeah, fair. But uh, but they were like, yeah, Lily, She's apparently she's staying with, you know, with Janet, who's who moved and is living in that building next to the other building mm-hmm. that's down on 3rd third, third Avenue Annex. Not 3rd Avenue, but there's a 3rd Avenue Annex mm. that cuts off. And at that at that time, you didn't go down Third Avenue Annex. That was that was a scary street. It's still a scary street. Sketchy. It was sketchy. And I was like, "What? Janet has an apartment on Third? A- there are no apartments on Third Avenue Annex." And they were like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little warehouse. It's above that one." And I was like, "Oh." And so I I heard this, and I went down there. Went down there and looked at the thing, and there was a buzzer, and I pushed it, and. Janet came down and she was like, Lily's looking for you. And I said, I know it's why I'm here. There's no other reason I'd be here. She was like, she'll be back in an hour or whatever. And so I sat there not really having anything to say to Janet either. I still don't know what that was about. And I, and I wish I did because I wish, I don't know if Lily is alive and I wish that. Oh my God, this is, this is really unsatisfying. Well, that's what I mean. I'm, it's still I'm unsatisfied by it because I feel like that was a message. I feel like she wanted to talk to me about something and she didn't get around to it. And I at the time I said this can't last. I mean, you know, cuz I like to get to I like to cut to the chase. Sure. I was like you you can't this can't last forever. Cuz she was what by that point 26. And she blew me off as she had always done. 26 is risky. You know? And, and how, you know how Lily's 
27 is tough for a lot of people. And we know Lily has been, based on the accounts that I have heard, has been living pretty hard. And and, and mostly consequence-free, it sounds like. That's the problem. Consequence-free. And you know how I feel about about consequences, you know, they're consequential. There's going to be consequences. So I never figured out what it was. I never figured out why she came looking for me. I think it was significant. I think it's a piece of the puzzle that I don't have. This must drive you nuts, John. This is, I mean, just to overstate something that is, that is implicit in what you're saying. This is a big piece of your Weltanschauung, if I could say. Mm is like figuring out, it's like picking back up on the thread of something and getting a take, the time, a time, uh, a cask uh, aged, uh, time-based, time-enlivened pickup of the thread about what happened. What was the deal? What, what had happened was what, right? What had happened was what? Isn't that right. a thing for you? Is like you do this sometimes, you do this, and I, I, I can't believe you can live with this. I can't believe you haven't lost your mind. I've, I've watched you look at, look at Google Earth for hours trying to find, like, one tree in Romania. Like, I can't <laughs> imagine. It seems to me that you would, you would spend a lot of time trying to track Lily down. Resolution. That, consequences. That's, that's the problem. I don't – like, if I were in Tangiers right now and met somebody that was like, oh, yeah, I, I – uh, you know – I used to work for Paul Bowles. I would absolutely say, uh-huh. "Do you know? Did you ever know Lily?" Or if I were in that bookstore in Paris, and I bet you somebody would say, "Some you know, some crusty would lift their head up behind the bookcase." Behind mm-hmm. a, Lily, you know, that's a name I haven't heard in a yeah. long time. But it hasn't happened. There was a guy that was part of that scene that used to drive one of those Mercury, um, those like. Uh, Mid sixties Mercury breezeway cars, where the back window actually—it was a sedan, but the back window was cantilevered uh, in instead of going flat out. The back window was cantilevered in, and it actually was electric. It would roll down. This is amazing. This a looks like a good car to die in. <laughs> it was incredible. The car was huge. It, it, was are, like, it looks a little bit like a consumer hearse. And it's that oh car, man, it's 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 slender. It's oh boy, General Motors, right? They make Mercury, uh, no Ford, uh, Ford, Lincoln, Lincoln, Ford, Mercury. Yeah. Okay, whoa. So the, the so this this Mercury wow. breezeway, and you know, it's a terrible idea because of course it terrible sucks the idea. exhaust it sucks the exhaust right back into the car. I'm just thinking about like you know, I remember learning in driver's ed about all the things that had been done over the years to improve people's chances of surviving automobile accidents like wider roads seat belts uh the kind of glass we have today that breaks up into tiny pieces instead of becoming sudden knives you know uh. this looks like a sudden knife car it looks like that back window could just go flying all over the place you know even like how about this even like you get hit from the side you get just just lightly t-boned you think that thing's going to stay in that channel no. not bloody likely well that that has become a death frisbee a square frisbee of death mm-hmm. oh <laughs> <laughs> but this this cause kid, of death the breezeway. Is, the thing is, the Mercury breezeway was as big as a kitchen. You know, it was <laughs> this this car, and you know that was back when there were all kinds of cars on the road. You know, there were still cars from. They every were still era. having fun. They were still trying stuff out. Well, then, yeah, but even in the early nineties, you could still you could buy a Mercury breezeway for five hundred oh, bucks from a guy. You know, like wow. when you were driving down the highway, you would still see you'd see cars 
from the 30s. Hundred, hundred percent. That was absolutely true. This was back when you still see Mustangs on the road, like fairly often. All the time, right? Yeah. Like ratty ones. And I don't know, something happened in the auto, something happened in the in the regulation world. And I bet it was emission standards. Hmm. Where in kind of one sweeping five-year period, what had formerly been like a, a polyglot, a, a design, mosaic. Yeah, like, well, a polyglot design playground. Yeah. You know, you could, you could have fun with it. Yeah, you had fun. You could go buy a car and just you find a, find any kind of old car. But then car. NHTSA, big NHTSA comes in. And you mm-hmm. you got to get your uh, get your get your gas mileage right. You got to get your safety right. You got to pass those crash tests that we've seen uh, slow motion videos of. All these cars went away, and I think I think it was just people were like, "Well, I can't keep driving my Mercury Monterey or whatever because it can't pass emissions." So I guess I'm going to get a new plastic car that looks like a lozenge. Mercury Monterey looks very like Green Hornet. It's super fucking cool. Yeah, all those old Mercuries, oh, but that. That guy, the guy that drove the Mercury Monterey, he was extremely punk. And I keep waiting for him to find me. I keep waiting to get hmm. an email. Do you, do you, from do you reach out to him particular. like with your passport? Do you send him well, I, do you send him signals? No, I don't. He was All of these people were part of that <clears throat> punk drug literature universe. They were mm. all Mm-hmm. The they Iron Troika, they called it. Yeah, they were working in books. You know what I mean? They mm-hmm. weren't. They weren't bar people. They weren't. They were junkies, but they were. They were dry junkies. They didn't want to hmm. get. They didn't want to get drunk and be a slob. They wanted to pass. They wanted to be. Uh, they because the book world, the used book world, or the vintage book world, used to be this haven for. People that were real, real fringe. Isn't that, isn't that crazy to think actors. about how many years there were so many retail stores? Half the books were Leon Uris's Exodus, but like there were so <laughs> there were so so many used bookstores. And I, I, I lay, toward the end of that period, and remainder bookstores. And eventually, I would think the remainder bookstores were huge back in the day. And I would think to myself, this is eventually this has got to be a front for something. How does anybody make any money off all this Agatha Christie? Well, it was, but 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 the bookstores that also traded in rare books. Oh, they got the little room in the back, almost like the porno at the video store. You mm. go through swinging doors or something. Yeah, and there were all those books in the case, and when you would say like, "I want to," like, "I'd like to buy that book," they would say, "Ah, you can't buy it. Like that book's not for sale. That book's not for you." <laughs> this, is our credi- have- this is our credibility shelf. <laughs> I used to happen to me all the time. I'd be like, "Can I see that one?" No, you can't see that one. Yeah. So I don't know, but you're absolutely right. And I think they, all those books might have been hollowed out. They might all have been drug They might have been full of, full of horse. I mean, I was, never, I was never a junkie, so I didn't, I wasn't invited behind Were you the more counter. of a tourist, I, you feel like? No, I just knew that I didn't want to be a junkie. And, and there were yeah, needle no... Drugs, needle drugs is a bridge too far. And, but yeah. you know, your people, were your people smoking it? I'm sorry, I'm taking you off your topic. Were your people That's smoking okay. it even back then? Wasn't smoking heroin a thing? Well, that's how you get started. You smoke heroin, and then pretty soon you want you want uh, you want it to work a little better, and mm-hmm. they all end up shooting. Okay. I didn't, you know, I I didn't want that extra problem, and there was always an element of 
I mean, everybody's got their line. Everybody's got their willpower. There was one particular night. I was with this group of guys that I really liked. Not group. There were two dudes and me. But I really liked them. They were smart. They were... Uh, they were part. They were kind of, you know, they were. They had arrived in Seattle from some university somewhere. The two of them had come out, and we ended up at a party at the guitar player for the band that had the song about the girl in the bee costume. Oh yeah, the guy's name uh, was Shannon. Shannon and the band was on. Oh, life is pretty strange. Uh, he, had, That's he, right. he was he was he was chasing the dragon if memory serves. Yes, he was. He was. And what was the band called? The song was called No Rain. Uh, yeah, he, I, I can't spend any time on this. No Rain, uh, mm, Blind Melon. Mm, Blind Melon. So the guys in Blind B -girl, Melon. B Girl, I think, is kind of what made that whole thing. Well, that one bit, that one bit he sings is catchy. The rest of the song's not that great. It's right. it's very much of that Spin Doctors era. But yes. that all I can say is life's pretty. And then the girl in the bee costume, I think that was that was very viral. You're at his house? It was viral at the time. His, his house or you see his guitar well, so, player's house? Yeah. So Shannon Hoon did not want to move to Seattle for some reason, even though reputedly when Kurt Cobain killed himself, Shannon Hoon had a had a, freaked out in his hotel room and whatever, threw his TV out the window and mm. then was dead, was dead of heroin not very long after. Mm. Jeez. But the, but two of the guys in Blind Melon decided they were going to move to Seattle. And I think it was, I feel like they they didn't feel like, they felt like Blind Melon was too lumped in with spin doctors. <laughs> and they saw themselves, the same way that Harvey Danger saw themselves as as allied with pavement. Oh. But, in fact, but everyone else saw Harvey Danger allied with, like, in the same family as the offspring or something mm -hmm. harvey danger hated the offspring they wanted to be pavement but we they sounded separated like but but it was also it was also that you know what it was part of it i mean like i can just say right off the dome i was not a huge watcher of mtv at the time except for 120 minutes because i'm that guy but it was a question of like what was in heavy rotation at the time there's these three songs that were all in heavy rotation i got something in my rectum you know and that's playing you got you got the offspring you gotta keep right isn't that part of it is you get lumped in yeah. with whatever else is is hot hot on on the mtv that's right that's right if you're if you're up there with 311 if you're some 41 and sr 71 mm -hmm. and some and 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 whatever uh 311 and and 312 whatever it takes <laughs> you're all you're all on the you're all on the radio at the same time, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so so the guys in Blind Melon, a couple of them were like, no no no, we're grunge, we're part of the Seattle thing, but they were just a, they were like a year too late. Yeah, I think they saw themselves more as a stone. Well, they didn't pilot. sound oinky enough. It, they might have had right. the aesthetic, but like I feel like in some ways there's all, all grunge in some ways in my head is now I know this is not historically accurate, but like. When I think of like the roots of grunge, I think of two bands. Um, I think I think of the Melvins, and I think of um, uh, Keep It Out of My Face. What's the name of that band? Keep uh, it out of my face. Who is that? Was that Mud, Mud Honey? Mud Honey? Yeah, I, I think of Mud Honey, and I mean it's got to be it's got to be oinky. There should mm. be, you know what I mean? It's got to be oinky. It's got to be not quite metal, mm. you know. And I, I think yep. just because you had a record after grunge was big and you've got long hair. I mean, no offense, but, no offense. you know, no offense, none taken. Yeah. It's, no, no, that's, that's much more in the, in the Spoodly D spin doctors. Uh, who's the guy with the harmonica vest? 
Oh, you know, uh, to, to run around. Be, uh, you yeah, know, the Popper, yeah, the, John Popper, in the, the in the, the name of his fella, band, with the hat. The good, good fellas, what are they called? Yeah, the good fellas. They're all yeah. from New York, I think. Mm-hmm. I, you know, Harvey Danger's old tour manager, Fish, actually became the. Uh, what, he was not the tour manager. I think he was the. He was in charge of the B three organ for the John Popper band. That's a very heavy called, organ. There was, there was a lot of keyboards in that band. Hmm. And we actually went on there. We went to see them. What is that band's name? John Popper and the Harmonicas. Yeah, they're called no, no, no. Uh, big, big Man. Uh, oh, yeah, you know big, what they're called? Big, oh, Spin. Fella, not big, Spin Doctor. Tra- traveling, no. traveling, travels, Travel, travelers, travelers, Blues Traveler. Traveler. Thank you, Blues Traveler. Mm-hmm. They were they were coming through Seattle. Sean and I went to see them because Fish was their keyboard tour manager. The B three men. We went on the we went on their tour bus, but it turned out it was just the crew bus. Mm-hmm. I bet that was stanky. Yeah. Well, and well, so here's the thing: they were headed up to Vancouver, but the tour. I, I'm, I hope I'm not talking out of school, but the tour bus, John Popper and his tour and his tour uh, gang mm-hmm. would get two hotel rooms in uh, in Blaine, Washington, right over the border from Vancouver. Well, I already they don't would, like how this is feeling. Oh, they would get two this hotel gonna, rooms. This is going to end up with a woman crying wearing a sheet, isn't it? No, 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 totally separate. Oh. Two, two hotel rooms, one of them to put their weed mm. and one of them to put their guns. What? That is, that is like something from The Wire. I know. Then they would go they play gotta get the re up. Yeah. And then they would come back and they would pick up their weed and guns or their drugs. It's you know, like an airport locker for rich men. Okay. Exactly. Well I mean, it was some you know, super eight motel or whatever. It didn't cost yeah. them anything. And by, by the and way, so, this is all this is all just alleged. We don't we can't yeah, prove this. Still, this is just an alleged thing. So Fish was like, Oh yeah, you know, here's all the drugs and here's all the guns and we have to you know, and we have to get them out of all the buses and put them in this hotel room. Jesus. But so I was at a party at this guy's house from Blind Melon. The guy wasn't there. It was some dude that I knew who was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm super good friends with the guy. We'll just go over to his place. He had an apartment in the – not in – it was in the – what was that apartment building? You're not going to know. Yeah. Uh, the Biltmore. He had, an, he, had a, he had an apartment in the top floor of the Biltmore, which was this really nice apartment building that, was, that had fallen into disrepair. It was full of grunge rockers. But they mm. were cut above grunge rockers. Mm-hmm. So we were in this guy's apartment partying. The guy that we were there with was like, oh, he's super tight. He said we could come by any time. He said we could party here any time. Mm. And the door opens, and it's the guy mm. who was supposedly on tour. He was. I, mean, supposed I bet to be it was a tour. real King of Comedy type situation. Like, <laughs> like, you're really not supposed to be in here. He was like, "What the? F- who the fuck are you people? Oh, shit, and no. why are you in my apartment? And the guy that I was there with was like, oh, hey, bro, it's me. And the Blind Melon guitar player looked like he didn't recognize the dude. Oh, he no. was like, what? Who the f- how the fuck did you get in here? Ugh. And so we all got chased out. Uh, and it was like, you know, kind of grab your pants type of chased out. Like, you know, like, mm-hmm. get the fuck out. And he was with the girl, the Blind Melon guy. And he'd just come back from tour, I guess. Came from the airport. And this is what he found. Mm. But these two dudes that I was there with, not the guy that got us in, but these, I guess, two dudes I met there, which we weren't at this party very long, but I met these two guys and we got out of the house. They were, and they were, they were the, they were tall, handsome guys who had come from an East Coast college okay, and had arrived in kinda Seattle. Like, kind of like Steely Dan. 
They were they were very much like Steely Dan, super ex- handsome. <laughs> except these guys were handsome. Okay, all right, tall and handsome. And they were like they were they were Seattle scene tourists. They were like, we're moving to Seattle and we're gonna live it. We're gonna mm-hmm. live the whole. And we walked out of the apartment, and as we're as we're walking out, we're down on the sidewalk, and one of them, the more handsome of the two, the one I remember better, said, "You know what we should do tonight? The three of us should go find heroin and shoot up." And, you know, at the time I knew a lot of people in that world, but I had made a very studied uh, plan to never do that. You opted out. I did not want that in my life. Mm -mm. And the people that I knew that, that tried to manage it, that did it and tried to manage it, they were, they were successfully managing it, but I did not want that. I did not want what they looked like. And I didn't want to be, Mm-mm. I didn't want to, I didn't want to stick drugs up my bum and go from Tangiers to Paris. Mm-mm. Like that wasn't even as romantic as that sounds. Murphy. But you had the presence, even then when you were, you were open to other kinds of uh, chemical adventures, something just that you just knew that that wasn't a good fit for you. I was doing all the drugs. If it goes, time. if it goes wrong, if it goes, as they say in England, it goes pear shaped. Like now mm-hmm. you're, you got a monkey on your back and I don't mean Peter Tork. Mm. It's right. It's not two monkeys on your arm. Mm-mm. It's a monkey on your back. Ooh, that's good. So he, but he was so, this guy was so like tall and kind of beautiful and his hair was like really, his hair was perfect. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he made this case and I was like, well, mm-hmm. mm. and I said, I can, I can take you to meet the people that you want to meet. I don't know though, but it was the time that I considered it the most. I, w- I walked them over to oh, interesting. Okay, walked them over to 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 the guy I knew who was who who claimed to be a carpenter and an EMT, but mm-hmm. was really a was really a drug dealer. If you're gonna make something up. You, you could do better than that, right? Carpenter, and I think he had. I don't think he was ever an EMT, but mm-hmm. I think he I think he had taken some life saving classes. He definitely mm-hmm. was a carpenter. Hmm. And he, I think he later stole a guitar from me. I think he came into my house and stole a guitar. I never got paid. The guy I sold my telly to never, never paid me. Never got paid. Never got paid. He's a nice guy, but I didn't want to bug him about it. Money's hard sometimes, but I really wish I still had that Telecaster. I loaned a Telecaster. You don't forget. The, you don't forget stuff like that. No, you don't. You don't forget your first Telecaster. Mm-mm. I loaned a Telecaster to the girls in the band Cat Food. <laughs> and Cat Food was real. <laughs> Cat food was real, and later on, <laughs> and it, later cat on, food. I ran into the guitarist of Cat Food, mm-hmm. and was like, "Hey, that Telecaster." Yeah, and she said, "You know, that was the nicest thing anybody ever gave me. That was such a great gift." Ooh, and I was like, "Oh, I mean, I was that was kind of a but, but the, she was so she, was she committed? She, she really, she really thought she was gonna get get away with it." I think that she, well, she did get away with it. Cause I was like, sure. Yeah. She was like, you know, without that, we never would have had cat food and we never would have put out the single. Cat food does not sound like a band that has somebody playing a Telecaster just in passing. I'm not familiar it, with their work. I, I could look it up, but, but it was see, a, she, she took control though. She knew, she knew how to assert control in that situation. It was a purple Telecaster. Ooh. She was the guitar player. They were three P's. Okay. And actually, they put out a seven inch and they thanked me in the liner notes, but they misspelled my name. They forgot the E. Mm. They said John Roderick, which was, <laughs> which was kind of what they, I used to hear that a lot. John, yeah. Hey, John Roderick. Mm-hmm. I was like, it's Roderick. Mm-hmm. But nobody could ever put, nobody ever could find the E. 
But anyway, I took these guys to that guy. And at the last minute, I was like, y'all have fun. Y'all go to town. Um, and I, le- I left. I bailed. I turned on my heel and I got out of there. But that was the closest I came. I'm so I'm so impressed and surprised by this. Um, I'm not trying to cast an aspersion, but it seems to me that a lot of these times you've talked about, you know, provoking people into where you get curb stomped or whatever. Like you were a troublemaker, right? And yeah. it's kind of interesting to me that it sounds like there was something in you, some intuition that that this was not for you. Oh. Did, did you do you remember your process? You were you just think it just didn't feel right, or was there like a strong like, oh, I don't want to get addicted to heroin feeling? I think through all of the years that I was, you know, risking my life all the time and and doing drugs and doing dangerous things and getting beat up and and you know, like whatever, sleeping outside in the city. Mm-hmm. I wanted to survive. I always wanted to survive. There was never, I, you know, I looked like I had a death wish. Oh, interesting. I, I repped kind of like I had a death wish. I definitely, there was, you know, if, I, if we were standing on the ledge, I was the first to jump. But I wanted to survive. And I did all those things always with confidence that I would survive because I felt like I was bulletproof. I felt like I was immortal. But I also want, I did not want to end here. I had, I had a future and there were just those lines and heroin was one of them where it was like, this is not the choice you make to, uh, to have a future. This is and not there something were, that a person who wants to survive picks up. There were plenty of people that, ha- that wanted to live that, that chose it because they felt like it was. They had to, right? You had to go through that. You had to do it if you were going to have truly lived during this time. Mm-hmm. But I just knew that that was a thing that I didn't, I wasn't in enough control to manage it. I wasn't going to be able to, I was already going to a third location with, with somebody I shouldn't have gone to a second location with. Mm-hmm. And that was going to be the thing. It was just going to be, it was... I don't know. I, I, I always stopped. And this was the night, you know, that I, that I went, the, mm-hmm. I went to the door. You like, like walked door. up to the edge. Yeah. Yeah. And this guy that I walked him to was a guy that was constantly trying to get me to try it. Like <sighs> I felt, I fell down it's one so time. Weird. Was, so I weird. So weird. I was all fucked up. I was, I had, I'd, I'd crashed somehow and I was, I was all covered with blood. I don't remember what had happened. I would some, whoa, whoa, whoa. Some, at that, that night. No, no, no. Uh, some other time. Oh. Earlier, before this. Oh, another... I, had, t- I see, I see, I see. You're vulnerable. I, I was all fucked up. I was, I was like, hurt. And I went to this guy's house because he was an EMT. <laughs> I went Whoa. to his house. Did he was you remember actually guy. processing the information like that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, I, needed, I needed to be stitched up. And oh, I, shit. And he was the guy that I knew that could do it. And he was always talking about like if you ever get you know if you ever need anything I'm your I'm your guy, and that was where he got into the drug selling because he was coming at it from like oh I've got all these drugs because I'm an EMP. And I was there and I had he was stitching me up he was putting all this. Um, were you under an, an influence at the time? Oh yeah, well yeah I mean every minute mm-hmm. every minute of that time. 
but then he turns around. He's like over in his little medical kit. He's like he's you know putting disinfectant on me. He's pulling the stones out of the cuts or whatever, and he's Ugh. and he puts some stitches in, and then he comes turns around and he's got a hypodermic needle, and it's and I'm like whoa, and he said oh don't worry about it. It's just morphine. <sighs> it's it's just you know I'm just I don't think EMTs typically are outfitted with a supply of morphine. No, and it was a syringe that was obviously something that it was either like something that was in his family or that he had <laughs> that he like, like a Sherlock Holmes rig. <laughs> yeah, and it would be bought it at a, at a like a like a vintage store. It was like all <laughs> elaborate. Is that clean? <laughs> we're we're, was... we're alighting. We're skipping this one issue that like no one wants to talk about. But this is also the time where there was a, a certain well-known uh, epidemic of illness at the time that was top of mind for a lot of us for a lot of years. Yeah, and this was not like a like a plastic disposable syringe. I think I get that it was it. made of silver. You know, silver. And yeah, glass. I know. What you, that's why I say Sherlock Holmes. It's like that kind of yeah. looks, looks a little bit like brass knuckles combined with yeah. a chemistry set. And th- and he was absolutely like this. He was goth, <sighs> uh, but he was like metal goth. He was he had a bunch of goth stuff, but he also had uh, surveillance cameras all around his. <laughs> He lived in an apartment too. It wasn't this is the like kind of person house. you want medical care from. Oh well, he was, you know. I, sure. I, the fact that he was a drug dealer, junkie, and stole a guitar from me didn't keep me from thinking he was pretty. He you know, otherwise. You gotta get rocks friend. out of your gash. And I was like, whoa, 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 slow down. And he was like, no, no, no. It's just, it's you know, this was the thing they uh, all dr- drug people say. It's like, oh no, that this is medicinal. This mm-hmm. isn't. I mean, I'm not giving this to. You're, look at you. You're all fucked up. Like you yeah. need some. You need this medicine. So and why even did then, they do that? Like, it's so strange. Like, no, 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 no. Don't. I don't want. Don't fucking put a needle in me. And he was like, "Okay, man. Well, whatever you say." <laughs> you're uh, the patient. <laughs> but so when I brought these guys and I was like, "Hey, these guys from an Eastern college want to try." Uh, you know, like I think they fell down and got hurt, and they need your assistance. Oh, you know, wink. They, and and yep. the two guys were like. You know, very eager beaver, uh, yeah. new to the scene, and th- and this character, the the uh, carpenter EMP, <laughs> EMT <laughs> or EMT, he, it's actually Paul Allen. He uh, he loved noobs, like he was the guy that loved newbies. Mm-hmm. That he was gonna. Because he loved to sit and school people. Oh, like he be, gets to be the guru, kind of. Yeah, let me tell you how it how it really is. Uh-huh. And I I took these guys in there, and then I was like, I got to see a man about a horse, but yep. not you about your horse. <laughs> not horse. <laughs> I need to see a different man about a different horse. <laughs> different man, totally different horse. Uh, and I left him there. I never saw those two dudes again. Oh shit! And I really. What if they're with Lily? You know what? They, you know, they might, well, they might be In a very, a like, Bokanonism sort of way, it sounds like they should run into each other at some point. They might be riding the great horse in the sky. Mm-hmm. They might be, they, <laughs> they, and, and Muhammad might be riding the burqa, burqa, up, <laughs> up to heaven. Is that Cat Stevens' new name? The, the human face horse. <laughs> 